Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guest and I share our vulnerable behind the scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of expectations and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counsellor in Georgia. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Authentic Wednesday podcast. In this episode, Keisha Reeves and I are talking about authenticity in her 30s, having a supportive community to keep her grounded and dispelling the myths of new motherhood. Keisha Reeves' life's mission is to make an impact on this earth while she is here. Keisha is a licensed professional counsellor in the state of Georgia. Seven women with life transition issues, postpartum depression, infertility, and women who have experienced child loss have become her speciality and passion. With a passion for maternal mental health, Keisha's mission is to educate, support, and uplift other women who are experiencing difficulties in their own maternal cycle. Motherhood can be trying and can affect women in various ways, which is why Keisha not only provides counseling, but also facilitates workshops, training, support groups, and speaking engagements to encourage mothers to push through. So hi, Keisha. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am super duper excited that you are on here because you are like one of my favorite therapist people, people in the world, just in general. Um, and I get to share just you, who you are with the world. So thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Welcome. So first thing, authenticity. Mm-hmm. This is the Authentic Wednesday podcast. What does authenticity mean for you? What does it look like for you? Uh, authenticity definitely means a journey for me uh, or to me. It means being able to kind of walk in your truth unapologetically. And I don't think naturally sometimes we're born into that if we are that's amazing but I think majority of us it takes time to get to that place just because challenges come about peer pressures different environmental stressors um so we get there at different points in our lives some of us if we're lucky and I think it it looks like somewhat of being just happy and content when you arrive at authenticity and being able to be your authentic self do you feel like you're your authentic self I do and I I wish (laughs) 30s welcomed my authenticity where it was just like this this it this who I am (laughs) take it or leave it I don't you know your opinions none of my business whatever and I really wish I had this in my early 20s it would have saved me a lot of frustration but I got here, so I'm grateful. <laughs> How did you get here? What have been some of the things? Because like you said, it is a journey, and I do think that it's not something that I'm authentic and that's it. But I just feel like it's something that evolves. But what has been your journey so far? I think a lot of things. Um, I'm originally from South Georgia, Millichville, Georgia, and it's a very country rural, small town. And... Uh, there's not a lot of culture in my hometown. And so I was just always just very different than my surroundings. So 
I was always into art, almost majored in it in college, in theater, and I was a big writer. And that was just very taboo, even like the music that I listened to. And so it was when I left after high school and went to college and was exposed to so many different races and cultures and people that I kind of started to develop like who I am and be okay with the things that I liked and appreciated it. And then just throughout life and even just majoring in psychology, you know, in college and becoming a therapist and appreciating how we can have so many different clients from different backgrounds and they can have mm. different things and walks of life from us and it being okay. We can still help them even if they're so different. Um, it's also reassuring for me to know that it's okay to just be who I am and appreciate who I am. And it, it's so much work to go against who your core person is than to just align with it and accept it. Um, and then I just did. <laughs> so it got, so what I'm hearing you say is that you know it got hard is mm-hmm. one of the things to just not be you right mm-hmm. what was hard about not being you trying to be like somebody else I was I told my husband um I wouldn't even say that I talk proper but I spoke like this growing up and people used to often say you sound like a white girl which what is that even right? (laughs) But spoke like correct English maybe, but I still feel like I'm Southern and I could be even Southerner when I'm home. And so I used to wish I sounded like somebody on Love and Hip Hop. I wished I had a ratchet voice. Like I used to like practice this at home, like in high school. Really? I know, like ridiculous, right? (laughs) (laughs) And now as an adult, I'm proud of how I speak, you know, doing like speaking engagements. I can imagine if, if I didn't speak like this or if I didn't use correct English, but that was hard to try to talk like somebody that I'm not and try to be something that I wasn't versus just naturally how I am. I didn't, I didn't, I don't practice the way that I speak or talk. And so that like is an example of how difficult it is to be something else other than yourself. Do you remember, that's so funny. (laughs) Do you remember, or maybe you may not have realized, but do you know why you were trying to sound like someone on Love and Hip Hop? Like, what were you trying to gain from that? Do you have any idea? Acceptance. Um, Most of my peers didn't talk like me or people around me. I played a lot of sports in high school. Um, I did soccer, basketball, and I ran cross country. And so I was with a lot of athletic girls and they didn't talk like me and so that need of being accepted and being you know with the cool people I felt like how I spoke wasn't acceptable versus it being okay to speak how I speak and if they don't like it that's their issue you know who cares um but just wanting to fit in as a teenager man that's so interesting I was talking about someone else and they were just like it was a lot about the acceptance but judgment as well. Did you ever deal with that or fear of being judged if you didn't fit in in quotation marks? For sure. Um, even just like with music I listen to, because I listen to everything, not not as much country. There was like one bluegrass song that I liked because I saw this movie called Oh Brother Where Out Thou with George Clooney. And it introduced me to bluegrass, but like just anything folk 
R&B, reggae, reggaeton, like all of it. I loved it. And where I'm from, if you were Black, you listened to R&B or hip hop. Like there was that. And if you listened to anything outside of that, you were not of the norm or not accepted or you were trying to be white. And um, so I wanted to not maybe showcase that or talk about it and to just fit in. Did you ever fit in? Um, I would say to a certain extent, um, I, I fit in with my, I found, I finally found my group somewhat. I mean, it's high school. <laughs> and, um, so to a certain extent I did, but I think definitely when I got to college, um, when I got to college, that's when I really found like my people and who were appreciative of all of the things that I was into and didn't look at it as something to judge, but something for them to learn about, um, and me vice versa. And I think that helped me appreciate that difference that was in, that I felt was different was in, that was within me. What did that feel like, um, when you met those people who were like, oh, this is cool. I want to know more about you. It felt like, oh gosh, um, somewhat peaceful. Um, not to like be on this hunt or not to do this self-doubt or question, but just to just be, just to exist. And um, that felt cool. And I met my husband when I was in college. And I remember he is, was different <laughs> in the same way. Because, um, my husband is West African. Oh, really? I never knew that. Yeah. He's West African. And um, came to America when he was four, started in New York, then came to Georgia. So he just had such a vast background. <laughs> And, um, and we kind of even clicked like on that. So just finding like my people, it just felt very peaceful and like it fit. You fit. You said in your twenties and I'm assuming part of this was in college, there was still part of you that was inauthentic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, even though you kind of found some people who were more accepting of you, um, how come you were still somewhat? inauthentic would you say in your 20s I would say well in my early 20s this is a little known a little unknown fact um I had got into modeling and um I tried to go far with it like I had went as far as like auditioning for America's Top Model and got to like LA before it got to television wow I know and I wanted to like do like modeling my like New York fashion week and high fashion. Cause I was tall, but genetically I'm not a naturally slim person. And although I'd always been athletic in my early twenties, I was as small as I could be trying to model, but not to their standards. And I remember them telling me I would either need to gain 20 pounds to be a plus size model or lose an additional 20 to be anything in this like career and I was already at my smallest that I like eating oranges today like at wow. the school, like, of being unhealthy and like exercising and I, I didn't have anything else to lose nor did I want to do anything else outside of that um and then I was told well for your body type the most you could do is like urban modeling like you could be a video 
girl or you could do like a king magazine and no disrespect to anybody who does that but i didn't want to do that and so even like with that that was a struggle of my self image of not mm-hmm. like i kind of fit in which anything on the outside i just like an average girl you know just a normal regular body you know woman and not feeling like that was good enough which modeling on top of somebody who's trying to develop that isn't necessarily like the healthiest environment to be in. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like started that trend. And I think it took maybe until like my mid twenties before even in that area, I could just accept my body type, identify that modeling just wasn't for me. It was good for its time. And then get into the other things that felt like I didn't have to try to be something else. Oh. Wow, this is so interesting. I'm learning this about you. <laughs> you used to have tried to do modeling. Wow. 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 That's a there's a lot of pressure um you know in the modeling industry and definitely perfectionism is like heightened yeah. and the unrealistic expectations right. and that sense of I'm not enough. So that's a real struggle. Mm-hmm. For sure. Real struggle. So let's fast forward to you becoming authentic. What mm-hmm. what kind of led to that? Or was it one thing or a few things? A few things. Um, I think like once I got into my career of psychology, met other counselors. You know, sometimes like counselors become friends and then (laughs) yes, talk and hang out and stuff because you have like this thing that's attractive about each other of like, you know, being interested in people and helping them and the way their minds work. I think like just psychology really helped with that a lot and just being really interested in the differences in people and me appreciating that about myself and then also feeling really refueled and fed in helping people and it never feeling like work. And then also my friend group, um, my love life, my family being very proud and very supportive and just things kind of coming aligned as far as supporting me for me being myself, I think helped a lot. And anything that went against that, I just didn't give energy to it or I didn't allow it in my space. And so I just have a really good supportive circle that helps me stay grounded and me feeling great about the person that I am. And of course, like we're always like on a journey of becoming better people and progressing. Um, so I have that as well. Not to say like I've arrived, I'm good, you know, I'm perfect. Now. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that I, I have a great support system. Wow. It's amazing how much support, or shall I say, how important support is in our growth. Mm -hmm. And yet sometimes in society, they're saying that now is a time where people feel more and more alone Mm -hmm. or like separated. But yet, you know, I'm definitely always talking about we're wired to connect um, you know, we have to have relationships, you know, healthy relationships to connect, but also to make us grow and make us be our authentic self. Was it scary for you opening up to these people? Mm, 
Not so much. Um, I think it was just like an organic, natural thing, like just based off of the vibes people give, how they invest in you and you invest back into them. And it's just, it just naturally unfolded. So I didn't have any pretense about it. And I think, although I think naturally I am an introverted person, I do like social interaction. I do like learning from people just in their way of lives of how they function and think and how they behave. Um, Even like with social media, if I post something on either of my business accounts, usually it's like pre-planned on Hootsuite and then I'll just have it where it goes out scheduled because I prefer to interact with people versus being on social media too much. Um, So I think that that helps. I I don't like to be isolated too much. (laughs) Did you, I know um, people always ask, so does a therapist have a therapist? Did you do therapy? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Was that an important part in you being authentic or was that just separate? That was an important part. Um, I think my, I love my therapist. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> like even as I do therapy, usually I work from like a psychodynamic theory. Um, so Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of started from a theorist called Sigmund Freud. And it's basically where a lot of who we are as a person and our personality is shaped by experiences or things that were modeled for us during our childhood or just in that child rearing and adolescent phase. And it shapes who we become as adults. Mm -hmm. Some things are good and some things can be unlearned, weren't necessarily healthy. Some could be trauma that we experienced. Um, And so there was just like a lot of things that I needed to shed such like that whole modeling experience and coming from a hometown that wasn't necessarily accepted to how different I was and not the hometown per se, but some of the peers that I had and just me kind of shedding some of that, that stuff that I was still carrying. And so that definitely helped me become more authentic. Mm, I love it. So often, you know, I talk about, in order to be authentic, we have to, you know, be open and we have to take off the mask. Because mm-hmm. often we, when we're inauthentic, we're wearing a mask. Can you give name to what your mask is or was there more than one name to what your mask was? Name to? Um, huh, that's a good question. Um. Gosh, I don't know. Um, I would say <laughs> my birth name would be the name. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're right. <laughs> okay, tell me. Is um Lakeisha? <laughs> ah. I don't even like go by it. Um, I stopped going by it, what sixth grade, but it's like it's my birth name. But I feel like it represents um, something of, of like a, a shield um, in a way of just kind of assimilating to an environment. And so me just being Keisha, stripped of that, is me just functioning as myself and not really trying to fit in or 
have anybody look for anyone to accept me. Wow, that's fascinating. Your birth name. So first of all, see, I'm learning all this stuff about you. Your name, your birth name is Lakeisha. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was your shield. That's that's pretty deep. Was um what did she shield you from? What did that I wouldn't I don't even know if she necessarily shielded me. Mm. But um I what did you think she shielded you from that? Um, maybe from rejection or, um, maybe from not being a part of something or left behind. Mm -hmm. That's what I assumed her role was. Okay. Wow. Rejection and not being left behind. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so cool. Thank you. Wow. So now, are you more accepting of Keisha? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm forever growing. There's areas I need to improve on, but mm-hmm. um, definitely, I I love the fact that I love culture. I love the fact that I like how I talk. I love the fact that I am the size that I am. I love. Um, all of the aspects that contributed to who I am. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Cool. Well, neither would I, because if you weren't Keisha, I don't think that I and a whole bunch of other people would be experiencing the greatness that you're doing right now. Um, Because I definitely am a believer that who we are bleeds into our different roles as mom, you know, your wife, your therapist, you're an entrepreneur, um, business owner. And one of the big things, amazing things that I think that your authenticity definitely speaks to is the push through. Mm. Definitely, definitely, definitely. (laughs) So um, I don't even know where to start because it's so amazing. But um. Tell us a bit about push through. Well, before I had my son, I was was seeing clients and I noticed that I was starting to get women who were mothers who had postpartum depression and hadn't put a name to it or were having a difficult time transitioning into motherhood. And so that kind of piqued my interest to get certified in it. And then uh, I had my son in the midst of getting all of that put together. What did you get certified in? Can you just tell us? Postpartum depression through Postpartum Support International. Okay. Um, And then I had my son and I had postpartum anxiety. And like I like got it, you know, like firsthand, like I understood um, what everybody was kind of talking about. I think that some women can do a really good job with welcoming motherhood and can transition well and have the supports. But for me, during my time, my husband had got a job two hours away from our home. So he was gone a lot. And mm. then my parents obviously live out of town. His mother still worked. Our friends were far away. And then, you know, they worked as well and had their own lives. So I was very isolated and my son had colic. So he cried all the time and um, he didn't sleep through the night. And so I had severe sleep deprivation to the point of having hallucinations 
Wow. Have anxiety about, am I going to get rest tonight? Am I going to sleep? And you know, when you have sleep deprivation, it triggers depression, irritability. Um, There was one day I was cooking dinner and I fell asleep in the midst of cooking and had almost started like a fire. And so the house was smoking and I had to take him outside. He's like a baby. And then I'm trying to come back inside and like clear everything out. But then I felt guilty that he was outside and I'm just in the house by myself running back and forth. And then I felt ridiculous and was crying. Like, I don't have my shit together. I'm, you know, I'm just, what am I doing? (laughs) And I'm just like winging it, you know, like nobody gave me a class to take, to get a license in motherhood. Like, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I never had a kid before. I don't know. (laughs) And I didn't think it was going to be that hard. (laughs) (laughs) It does not come with a manual. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that hard. And so I just, I struggled. And of course, it was just, it was a lot going on. I had been working at a company before going full-time private practice. I got laid off. And um, it was just a lot of transition, a lot of change that was going on on top of that. And so... I wanted to start push through because I wanted to create a community for mothers to feel like they could have a space to be honest about their journey and their experience and not feel judged and also be able to know about services and products and um, things that were available resources that they could utilize because there was a lot of things that I just didn't know that nobody told me about. And I didn't learn it until like after the fact. So I wanted to create a space for that. Wow. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a mom myself, but I do see moms and um, I do encourage them. And because I speak to other moms and talk about you don't get a manual to be a parent. You do have to kind of figure it out. And each child is different and each person is different. I know that I've even have to come to you <laughs> and like, I have a client that's a mom. I need help with this. Um, just, you know, for consultations. And one of the things that I do want to talk about some of the myths and expectations, unrealistic expectations they have for new moms. But um, one of the things we talked about that you said is not common, um, that people don't share, is intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a bit about that and even your own experience with intrusive thoughts? Um, Intrusive thoughts are usually like a thought that kind of can pop up in your mind, nothing that's prompt it from anything necessarily, but it'll be just like a rooted in some sort of fear and it can create anxiety such as, um, you may see your baby laying on the changing table and you have this image in your mind that the baby will roll off and fall on the floor and harm themselves. And this isn't happened. It's never happened before. There's no reason why it would happen now but you'll just have this fear of it. And then sometimes intrusive thoughts can turn into obsessive compulsive behavior because you may then try to be preventative in that. So you may never change your baby on the changing table. You may then change them on the floor and you may then never want them to be any type of heightened area. So you wouldn't put the car seat on a counter or you wouldn't um, just place them on the bed or something like that because you just have this fear that's not rooted in anything that's factual. And it just comes from this thought that happens. And it's natural um, for it to come. I had read this article once that was saying how mothers 
our instinctual um, caretakers after having a baby and, and intrusive thoughts can come from being able to foresee a potential danger. And so it's how prehistorically this was built into us. This was just like a theory of how we can foresee these events occurring to provide safety for our young. Um, but they can become so much that it can become debilitating to a mother. So if it gets to a certain extent, then she would need to be able to seek help for it. But I definitely experienced it in the fact of there upstairs in our house, it's like a, we have like a loft area. So there's like a rail Mm -hmm. that you would walk by and I would never want to walk close to the rail because I would envision my son jumping out of my arms and falling over the rail over to the other side. And uh, he would never do that. He couldn't move. He was a newborn. He can't, I mean, he, you just sit him somewhere and he just lays there. So it wasn't no evidence to support that, but I just had this fear that that would happen. Um, but it happens to moms and it's scary. Yeah. Do you know why? Wow. Thank you. Do you know why moms don't talk about it or share about it? more? I think there's some shame in it. Um, if they'll sound crazy. Or if it'll appear as if they want to do something to harm their child. But there's a big difference between, you know, like a homicidal thought with a plan Mm -hmm. to do something versus you have this unprompted image that comes into your head and you want to protect your baby from this this idea that came out of nowhere. Okay. So a lot of, thank you, a lot of what you talk about in the push through I know I know you give a great box um to new moms um who are in do you call it the fourth trimester or postpartum is it either one either one fourth trimester which people don't talk about but you talk about a lot (laughs) you talk about how important it is and that probably the mom needs more care in the fourth trimester than any other part of the trimester um but there's so much of this stigma about postpartum depression and of course I learned that postpartum is after pregnancy and depression is separate <laughs> but the postpartum depression actually you mentioned postpartum anxiety which I'd never heard of too so that was really interesting the other thing that you talk about and you dispel, I love, is you have these images of women and their moms and their stomachs mm-hmm. and what they really look like. And you talk about the snapback, <laughs> um, how real or unreal the snapback is, and you just create this space where women can be like, Phew, oh, my God, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. I don't have to do all these things. And, I mean, I'm not even a mom, and I just look at your whole page and be like, really get that feel. So thank you for that. But let's talk about the snapback. Um, (laughs) Snapback is, like, the worst. (laughs) I think it's just this unrealistic idea, even, like, for women to compliment others. There's like this huge thing called genes, first of all. And, and if someone genetically is just a slimmer person, and plus, let's say, genetically they're slim naturally without even exercising. That's just who they are. 
and they breastfeed. So breastfeeding, you're burning like 500 to 1,000 calories a day alone. And they've had this baby and they're back to their pre-baby weight in like a month. And a woman is like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. I envy you. I wish you could be, I wish I could be you. That just creates so much like societal pressure. Um, Sometimes I think we don't do enough of praising our bodies for how they look just naturally, you know, for what they are after having a baby. I have a mom pouch. I see a, a personal trainer. I run 5Ks. I did the peach tree race. I'm a pretty like running person and I cannot lose this pouch. Like it, it just won't go anywhere. And it's fine. It's okay. There was a human growing inside of me for like 40 weeks. <laughs> and it makes sense, you know, that it just won't look the same. <laughs> and I yes. think if we like talk more about that and just accept it versus feeling like we have to look like supermodels after we've had a child. Or, you know, believing into what Instagram photos show of women being like made up and having this snatched waist when some of them may have plastic surgery or some of them have, you know, any alterations that we don't know about versus just loving your stretch marks, loving your pouch, you know, loving whatever has happened to your body because it's, it's just evidence that you birth a human being. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the expectations, the unrealistic expectations, which I'm thinking is where a lot of that shame comes in. You know, I talk and a lot of that unrealistic expectations, a lot of that perfectionism in, especially with the social media generation in you have to snap back or filtered pitches or people just not even showing. So Mm -hmm. it it makes a lot of sense. Um, What are the myths? Are you kind of like dispelling through the push through? Uh, um, that breastfeeding is magical and the baby just knows what to do. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> breastfeeding is hard and it's, it's painful and it can be a very, a huge struggle and it can do a lot to a woman's psyche and self-esteem. Um, I think it's great now that we have breastfeeding movements. I do think, breastfeeding is very healthy. It's natural for the baby. But I think that pressure on on a woman who may not produce milk or may have inverted nipples and their baby can't get a good latch and they may have to formula feed can have her feeling very defeated and Mm -hmm. not worthy. And so I think having the right language about that and letting people know that is going to be hard. And I think also for mothers to think that when you have your baby, you'll look at them and you'll just feel that love and connection. It'll magically, it'll just happen. It'll just bond. Um, I think it took me a little bit to bond with my son, Ezra. It was not instant. Um, I had, it was like my mind could catch up with what had happened to process it. I knew I had been pregnant. I knew we had a baby, but there was something in me that still felt like I was babysitting someone else's child. And it took a second and it, it doesn't always just happen like that for everybody. Uh, And I think also when people say your maternal instinct will just kick in and you'll know what to do. Obviously from my story, that didn't just happen. (laughs) (laughs) And not feeling like you'll just know or you'll be able to do it all. 
there's a lot of moms who may be at home for maternity leave or stay at home moms and feel like they need to cook and clean and, you know, get the meals prepared and do laundry while also taking care of this newborn and just being okay with if the dishes don't get done, if you have to order pizza, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. You know, as long as you're rested and the baby is good, if you didn't do anything, but just take care of the baby today, you did a great job and that is fine. I think those are like the three top ones. <laughs> ones. That's so funny because I did a post, um, you know, before, you know, we're doing this Authentic Wednesday and podcast and I used to do on Instagram and I was like, you know, I'm a great aunt because all you moms are putting all this pressure on yourself. I don't know how you did it. I had these, you know, my nieces who were probably, I think one and a half and maybe I don't know, maybe nine months at the time. And I was like, I survived. I literally was like, I survived. And so I was just, you know, encouraging women. Like the fact that you can get up and put some clothes and feed them is like, it's magical, you know, because it is a lot. And I had my nieces again recently and I was like, you know, I want kids, but, um, you know, this is a lot of work that people don't like talk about. Um, so I appreciate you for being honest about that. <laughs> so one last thing I want to touch on, um, and I was so excited. Um, you called it Mumcation. Your Mumcation. <laughs> Mumcation. Did I say it right? Yes. Um, and something you said when you were talking about um, on your video, and you were talking about mum guilt. Um, yeah. um and just your whole reason, I love what you said. It's like sometimes we get lost in the fact um, that motherhood is our sole identity. And you were just talking about, you know, I was Keisha before I was mom. Mm-hmm. And that's so important not to forget. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a bit more? Because I even remember like when you were going, you're like, yeah, I'm going for my birthday. And I'm going with a friend. I was like, man, she's not going with the kids. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. So tell us a bit more about that. Um, I definitely get mom guilt sometimes. I used to get it worse than I get it now. But um, so being that I'm from Georgia originally and from South Georgia, there's a lot of traditions that can be projected upon you as a mother of what the ideal mother is supposed to look like, especially like old school visions of it. And even like with my own mother, she kind of thinks that, you know, mom is the sole caretaker of the baby. Sometimes she'll call me and I'll be leaving work and she'll say, well, where's Ezra? And I'll say with his father, you know, like he doesn't have to be with me all the time. (laughs) Like he has another parent, you know, in this. And so I, I think like from, from where I've grown up, mothers didn't take solo vacations or mothers didn't go away with their friends. It was looked at as something that's selfish and like you're trying to escape something. And for me, it was more so I wanted to go to Italy. We had to go for eight days because there's so much travel and then to be able to see and do everything. And I think it was very refreshing and rejuvenating for me to be able to do that so that I could be a better mom to Ezra so that I could come back and just feel, you know, like I'd been refed and, and feel like I'd done some things that I wanted to do. And 
that was important. So I did not receive any of the, the projection that others may have wanted to put upon me. And I support mothers who want to do a girl night or a momcation in the city where they just get a hotel room and do the spa or eat out, or even if they go on a solo dinner by themselves, just anything. I think it's good and it's needed. And I don't think that when you become a mother, you shed the person who you used to be and you become, you know, just this person that takes care of this baby. I think that that's, that becomes a part of you as you evolve and you progress, but it's not the only thing that defines you. Wow. Love it. So that's all part of that, just being authentic and still being you and still holding on to that important part, which is your identity, which some people, you know, I, I explain to people, if you, you know, take the roles like mom or, uh, you know, your career and make that into identity and you hold on to that, if that changes or that goes away, that really rocks you to your core. Mm-hmm. So for you, holding on to Keisha is important. Right. Very much so. <laughs> love it um so guys um thank you so much Keisha um if you guys have just heard her talk her authentic truth and her authentic story um with us so where can we show love to you you can find me at push through box um is my mom page or at Keisha underscore Reeves um both of those are on Instagram and that's your therapist page. Okay, great. So you can find that all that information um, in the show notes. One last question. Any resources, um, books, podcasts, videos, mantras, anything like that? Um, the Atlanta Birth Center offers a free group for mothers called Motherwise. Um, highly suggest that one. Any mother who is breastfeeding, maybe wanting to get some guidance for that, Breastfeed Atlanta does a free group with the lactation specialist. And a great podcast that I listen to is called Motherhood Sessions by Dr. Alexandra Sachs. Um, and she kind of talks to different mothers on different journeys. And then a good book that I'm reading is called The Fourth Trimester. And it just talks about all of the the transition and, and the struggles and challenges that can come along during that time. Cool. And anything that helped you, any resources on your perf- personal journey um, towards authenticity? My personal journey? Journaling. <laughs> hmm. Maybe because I'm a big writer, um, journaling was like my biggest Thing. Just being able to write it out, look back, reflect on it, acknowledge growth. Um, that was my go-to outlet. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Keisha. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe and comment on the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday Podcast, and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.